Have you ever wondered why a certain house in your neighborhood has stood abandoned for years or even decades? Or maybe you've heard of a terrible murder in your town, but you've never known exactly where it happened. Welcome to the Morbid Tourism Podcast, where we talk about cases that may have happened closer to home than you thought. Warning, this episode contains descriptions of extreme violence and sexual assault against children. This podcast is not recommended for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Everyone wants to find love. Find that special someone who you would do anything for and they would do anything for you. But even if you've already found that special person, how far would you really go for them? Most people would say they would die for their partner, but would you kill for them? If you found out that they had been severely abused, beaten, starved, and even raped, would you want to get revenge for them? To kill their abuser? What if they asked you to? Hopefully your answer to that question is no, you wouldn't kill anyone even if your partner asked you to, and even if they deserved it. But today's case is about someone who said yes and carried out a brutal double murder all because they were asked to by someone they loved. James and Virginia Campbell were affluent members of Houston's upper class. They lived in a pretty large brick mansion at 8901 Memorial Drive. They'd raised four daughters in the home together. James had been a lawyer for many, many years, representing a good amount of shady figures from Houston's underbelly. But he had made a very good living doing it. Of course, just because it looked like their life was perfect from the outside, behind closed doors, that may not have been the case. By 1980, all four of the Campbell daughters were grown and out of the house. One daughter, named Cindy, had gotten married and had two sons of her own before she was 20. But Cindy had some other issues that made her an unfit mother. She would often do drugs, and she didn't seem to know how to take care of herself in a very basic manner. Things like cooking or just tidying up, even bathing herself regularly, these were not things that she prioritized And it became clear when her two sons were still very young that they would be much better off living with Cindy's parents. Cindy divorced the father of her sons shortly thereafter and would go on to marry again and divorce again. After the second divorce, Cindy Campbell met a man named David West. David was an ex-Marine who was going to art school and who owned a small townhouse. He saw something in Cindy that really intrigued him. Even though she was shy, overweight, messy, he could see that she had a talent for art and that she had potential to be really beautiful if she just put in a little effort in terms of taking a shower and cleaning up. He began trying to help her, teaching her how to eat right, things like simple nutrition, don't eat burgers every day, eat salads, 
He taught her some simple workout routines and how to keep things tidy. She eventually moved into David's townhome and the two started a romantic relationship. Cindy dropped a good amount of weight and she looked really healthy. And David was right, she was stunning. During their relationship, Cindy began opening up to David about her childhood and things that had happened to her. She told David that her father had sexually abused her for most of her life and that her mother resented her for the attention that her father had given to Cindy. She said that any time her father was left alone with her, she would be abused. She even told David that her own father was also the father of her first son. Now beyond this, she said that her mother was so jealous of her that she would lock her inside a closet for days, forcing Cindy to live in her own excrement. Cindy ran away when she was just a teenager, which is when she met her first husband. Even after all of the abuse, though, Cindy still had a relationship with her parents and had allowed them to take full responsibility for raising her two sons. Her parents were wealthy and gave her money, whereas Cindy had a really hard time holding down a job and making any sort of income herself, so she really couldn't get away from them. Now, David was completely outraged by what Cindy had told him. And of course, who wouldn't be outraged by all of this? The thought of a father abusing and raping his own daughter to the point of having a child with her was more than David could bear. And he told Cindy flat out that he thought that they should die for what they had done to her. Cindy agreed with David and began to push the idea more and more until it started to become a plan. She also told David that since her parents were wealthy and owned lots of property, after they died, she would get an inheritance and she would be happy to give David $20,000 if he helped her. Since David had been in the military previously, he felt that he had the training necessary to carry out an operation like this without getting caught. David contacted a friend of his who he knew had guns and he acquired a 45 caliber pistol to use. Now the plan was for Cindy to visit the home one evening and ask her parents for some cash. This was something that she did fairly often so nobody would be suspicious of this visit. While she was there, she would unlock a back window without anyone seeing her. Later that night, Cindy and David would return wearing full black clothes, ski masks, rubber gloves, kind of the whole gambit. So no one would be able to identify them and they wouldn't leave any fingerprints. It was important for David that Cindy was there with him since the whole thing was for her. They would sneak in through the unlocked window and make their way to the second floor using a back staircase where they were less likely to be heard. Upon entering the master bedroom, Cindy would turn on the lights and David would carry out the murders quickly. The two would then flee the house and drive away before anybody could come to the house and see them. Because James Campbell had dealt with shady characters throughout his career as a lawyer, including representing some mob members, 
they believed that the investigators would focus on that instead of looking at family members. So, in the early morning hours of June 19, 1982, David and Cindy entered the house just as they had planned. They climbed the back stairs and entered the master bedroom. Cindy flipped on the lights and immediately they both saw that Cindy's two sons were also in the master bedroom. Apparently, they had decided to have a sleepover in their grandparents' bedroom that night. But undeterred, David fired multiple shots into James and Virginia Campbell, and then David and Cindy fled. The Campbell's housekeeper, a woman named Maria, who lived in a mother-in-law unit in the back of the house, was awoken shortly thereafter by Cindy's sons, who were hysterically pounding on her door. The boys told her that their grandparents were dead in their bed. She checked the master bedroom and found that the boys were right, and then called 911 and reported the murders. Now, investigators started looking into all avenues and quickly learned of James's connections to the underbelly of Houston, though it was weird because he had worked as a defense lawyer and he was a good one. He got many of his clients off, so it seemed unlikely that he would be targeted. It became clear to investigators that the Campbells had a large estate and would be leaving close to a million dollars to their family members. After speaking to the Campbell daughters individually, Cindy stood out as suspicious to investigators, though they had no real evidence of anything beyond just suspicions from the other sisters. Cindy claimed that on the night of her parents' murders, her and her boyfriend, David West, had been at a bar drinking and playing pool until about 2 a.m. They'd then gone back to their apartment for a little while, had sex, then left their apartment to go to another house party. All of this was fully corroborated by people at the bar and the party who had seen both Cindy and David that night. Because of a lack of evidence, there was little investigators could do beyond continuing to track down leads. The other Campbell sisters became more and more convinced that their sister, Cindy, had something to do with the murders, especially after she insisted on collecting her part of the inheritance immediately instead of using any of the funds to pay for their elderly grandmother's care and the care of her two sons. After two years of the investigation going nowhere, two of the Campbell daughters decided to hire a private investigator to look into their sister, Cindy. By this time, Cindy and David had broken up and Cindy had married for a third time. The private investigators tried to dig up anything that they could on Cindy, but she had become almost a hermit, never leaving her small apartment. Her new husband was extremely tight-lipped and private and refused to talk to anyone about his wife or their life together. They decided to instead look into David West, who Cindy had apparently been with on the night of the murders. He was still living in his townhouse, and he didn't appear to be dating anyone at the time. So investigators saw a way in. They hired an attractive woman named Kim Paris to be an undercover agent for them. Although she had never done undercover work or PI work at all before, she convinced them that she was more than capable of getting David to tell her whatever she needed to hear. 
She had been a flight controller in the Navy and she felt that her military training would help her in this situation to stay calm and kind of just get the job done. Over the course of several months, Kim was able to get friendly with David, first just gaining his trust and then getting him to fall for her. Although she refused to do more than some light kissing with David, as she told him that she had been raped in the past and was really uncomfortable with physical affection, David became more and more enamored with Kim. He told her about his past with Cindy, although refused to ever say anything that would implicate himself or Cindy in the murders of Cindy's parents. For a while, it seemed like Kim wasn't getting any further with David. They were basically at a stalemate. And the Campbell sisters were spending a ton of money on the the investigation. So the pressure to get David to confess was getting intense. So after a while, the Campbell sisters decided to threaten to shut down the private investigation unless they could actually get something out of David through Kim Davis. By then, Kim knew that she had David in her pocket. He had told her over and over how much he loved her and how he wanted to marry her and start a new life together. But it was obvious between the two of them that he was still hiding something. He would tell her that there was something that he could never tell her, and Kim basically used this against him. Kim played along with the relationship until she felt that it was time to get him to talk and to tell his secret. She told the other investigators who had hired her that she would get him to confess on a specific night. That night, she would carry a microphone with a radio transponder in her purse, and as long as the other investigators stayed in a van nearby, they would be able to pick up every word and record the conversation. Finally, on February 20th, two investigators got into a van with audio equipment all set up and ready to receive the conversation between Kim and David. That night, Kim told David that she knew he was hiding something from her and that their relationship could not continue until he was fully truthful with her about everything in his past. She told him that she was ready to leave and never see him again unless he told her what he was hiding. Now, David was head over heels. He was all in with Kim and he finally broke down saying, quote, okay, I'll tell you, I killed both of Cindy's parents, end quote. He then continued on saying things only the killer would know, like how many times both of the parents were shot. The next day, the recorded tapes were brought to the DA's office and an arrest warrant was issued for David West. Although they had David in custody, he refused to say anything about Cindy or her involvement with the murder. He was no longer in love with her, but he still seemed to feel some sort of protective role for her. Initially, prosecutors were hopeful that David would accept a plea bargain that included him testifying against Cindy, but David refused. David's case went to trial, and the tapes that were recorded by Kim Paris were played for the court. It was apparent that the tapes were especially damning for the defense, and with the death penalty on the table for David, he began to change his mind about the proposed plea bargain. Before closing arguments, David changed his plea to guilty and ended the trial. 
In return, he would be given life in prison without the possibility of parole, but would also have to tell investigators the truth about Cindy's involvement and testify against her. David told them everything. How Cindy had claimed that she was raped by her father, how she had told David she'd give him $20,000 to commit the murders, and how she was there in the room when they died. Cindy Campbell was arrested the same day that David changed his plea. When investigators got to her apartment, they found her living in filth. The floor of the apartment was littered with trash and cat feces, and there was hardly any furniture besides just a queen-size mattress on the floor. At Cindy's trial, it was discovered that most of the stories she had told about her childhood and the abuse that she received was likely to be at least somewhat made up. None of her sisters would corroborate her stories of abuse at the hands of her mother, saying that they all had a very happy childhood, including Cindy. In terms of the abuse from her father, it was impossible for Cindy's father to also be the father of her eldest son. At the time of his conception, she was living far away from her parents with her first husband, and he testified without a doubt that he was the father of her eldest son, and it would have been impossible for her father to impregnate her at that time. He did say, though, that Cindy had told him that her father had sexually abused her even at a young age. That seemed to be the only consistency in Cindy's story throughout the years. When the trial was over, the jury deliberated for several days. On Saturday, July 5th, They told the judge that they were at a stalemate, with two jurors holding out, believing that Cindy was innocent because she had been coerced into the whole affair with the threat of great bodily harm to herself by David if she did not cooperate. They felt that a woman that was as frail as Cindy that had been found living in a filthy apartment couldn't have been capable of going through with a murder and standing in the room while her parents were murdered. The only way they felt that that was possible was if she had been coerced. Instead of giving up, the prosecutor immediately refiled charges and announced that they would be retrying the case in an effort to get a guilty verdict against Cindy. At the second trial, David again testified against Cindy. This time, the jury was less swayed by the defense's arguments and found Cindy guilty of two counts of capital murder and sentenced her to life in prison for her role in the murder of her parents. Cindy's two sons were raised by their great uncle with the help of Cindy's sisters. Although Cindy's first parole hearing likely would have been this year in 2022, she died in prison last May at the age of 65. David West appears to still be incarcerated. The home where the Campbells were murdered in cold blood sat empty for several years, the ivy and hedges reclaiming the exterior while mildew grew inside the unused rooms. Although it's unclear if and when the house was sold due to MLS records being inconsistent in the 80s and 90s, someone renovated the home to make it livable once again. They also included a large wrought iron security fence perhaps giving them a sense of security that they would not meet the same fate as the home's previous owners. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Morbid Tourism about the Campbell Family Mansion. If you like learning about morbid locations, subscribe to Morbid Tourism on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and leave a rating, a review, let us know what you think. New episodes will be released weekly. Between episodes, you can visit www.morbidtourism.com to learn about more morbid locations. Follow us on Instagram at Morbid Tourism. This podcast is researched, hosted, produced, and edited by me, Jules Kruger. Sources for this episode include the book Daddy's Girl by Clifford Irving and Oxygen.com.